Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. Sit back, relax, and listen to tonight's show. Let's join our host, Ted Odorico, as he introduces tonight's special guest. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. This is actually the 2023 season finale of Golf Talk Live, and I'm uh, featuring... Uh, my very special guests this evening, John Hughes, Clint Wright, and Jim Endicott. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about each of them here in just a moment. But remember, uh, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, always excited to have uh, people join in live. And, uh, of course, uh, the shows are auto-recorded, so you can go to uh, our web link at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and just scroll down to the on-demand section. And you can listen to all of the previously recorded shows in their entirety there. So as I mentioned, this is the season finale and uh, very, very excited to uh, get a little bit of break uh, for the holidays. Uh, the show will stop uh, after this evening uh, doing its live shows until uh, we start up again in February. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end of the broadcast. But let me introduce the guys and we'll get into tonight's uh, uh, special Coach's Corner panel discussion. First up, of course, is John Hughes. Uh, he is a PGA Master Professional and the Honorary President of the North Florida's PGA Section. Uh, he was also the recipient of the 2013 PGA of America Professional Development Award. Uh, he's also a Senior Editor and Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 Instructor, as well as part of the uh, advisory staff. Uh, and also, he was the 2023 North Florida PGA Teacher and Coach of the Year as well uh, in his section. Clint, uh, also joining the uh, Clint Wright, joining the uh, discussion tonight, is a 30-year-plus uh, uh, member of the PGA and one of the partners of TGM Golf. Uh, TGM uh, Golf, of course, is a big proponent of the R3 approach, uh, and I consider him to be certainly among one of the best uh, covering the short game today and a favorite guest here on uh, Coach's Corner. Uh, Jim Endicott also has been teaching this great game now for uh, over 38 years. Uh, he's a former Golf Digest School's general manager and a seven-time PGA Award winning, uh, including the 2022 North Florida PGA Section Patriot Award and two North Florida PGA Youth Development Awards. He's currently the director of instruction at Royal St. Cloud Golf Links in Florida, and he's also a Golf Tips Top 25 instructor and contributor to the magazine as well. So, guys, welcome to our season finale here in Golf Talk Live. Hey, Ted. Great. Thanks, Ted. Look forward to it. Ted, thank you so much for having us on. Uh, looking forward to being there, being here with you guys as well, Clinton, John. Well, not a problem. I always a pleasure. Um, you guys have, have done a great job, uh, really contributing to the show, especially to the coaches' corner panel. I know you guys have also been uh, guests as well, 
uh, over the years, but uh, always do a great job and looking forward to uh, having you all come back again next year. So this year, uh, this season finale, I decided to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to really talk about um, you guys a little bit. And so I've got some questions together. Uh, you're going to all answer the same question, but it's going to be very unique uh, to you as instructors. So uh, I'm going to start in the order that I introduced you guys, uh, John, Clint, and then Jim. And then uh, we'll, uh, depending on what time we have left, if you guys want to stick around, we can uh, throw a few extra topics in there as well. But we're going to start things off. So John, first up, you're going to be the first one to answer this. Talk about how your teaching methods or philosophy, if you will, has changed over the years. Has it changed from when you first got in? And if so, how? Great question. Uh, first off, thanks, Ted, Clint, Jim. Uh, great to share some time with you, as always. Uh, I think if you're not evolving as a coach, as a teacher, as an instructor, as a mentor, and your philosophy is not changing over time, then you're probably not as fresh as you could be. You're going to lose your relevance. Uh, your engagement with other people is going to falter and you're most likely behind the times. So, yeah, I've throughout my career, I would say my general philosophy of coaching one person at a time, and there's no right or wrong way to coach somebody. There's the correct way for the person who's in front of me. It was something I instituted at the Digest schools years ago, and it comes from its founders, Flip Toski, Altman, and and love, that kind of philosophy, overall philosophy, the mechanics, the technical part of it can always evolve and and has to evolve. If you've got somebody different, different in front of you each time, how, how do you stay the same? How, you, we're not robots. Uh, so certainly it's evolved. Um, give you a specific example and I think the Jim and Clint would agree with this. We grow up as teachers, I'll use that term, learning the different positions of the swing, as Jim McClain had documented, P3, P this, P that, and spent a lot of time early in my career getting people to understand their backswing. And I came to two conclusions very early that I still stay with, but will alter from time to time. Number one, most golfers, most amateur golfers do not practice enough to really practice their backswing and make significant and sustainable progress. Combine that with number two, if they're set up incorrectly, they're just practicing a backswing position relevant to where they're aimed. So over the years, the philosophy of, okay, let's get the club halfway back hasn't changed so much as the order, the position of how I'm presenting that to someone is based solely on can they set up correctly. So if they're going to spend any kind of time, it's a good improvement to how they're set up to their target. Uh, that's just one example that, I, that comes straight to mind. Uh, again, I, I, don't, I don't think you can be relevant in this day and time at anything you do unless unless your philosophies are flexible enough to change with the times. I mean, that's it. I was, I can go on and on about that for days, but that would be the summation point that I'd provide any person looking to get into what we do. 
Yeah, I, I agree 100% um, with you, John. I think you have to sort of morph into um, something a little bit different. As you pointed out, you definitely have to you grow up as, as and, and not just with age and, and you know, physical abilities and things like that, but you actually grow up in your profession, whatever that may be. In this case, it's, it's golf for us. But um, I agree. I think you have to uh, be willing to uh, adapt to new things and, and certainly at least be willing to look into uh, the possibility of, of new avenues to um, be able to relay and teach your craft. And I think if you don't, then you become stagnant, as you, as you suggested. Clint, what about you? When you look back over time and you say, okay, when I first, you know, stepped into the, the limelight, as it were, as a, as a teacher professional with the PGA, uh, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, as they say, um, obviously, you know, you had a, a general sort of agenda, if you will, of how you wanted to approach things. How has that changed for you? Obviously, you, you probably share some similar uh, analogy that, that yeah. John just spoke of, but was there anything specific that, that – Well, you, you know, we all – I've said many times I'd really love to go back and, and reteach the people I taught in the first 10 or 15 years of my career because uh, um, I, I don't want to say I'm smarter, but I know more. Um, as technology changed – you know, we began to understand, have more knowledge about what was actually happening versus what we assumed was happening. You know, me personally, I I was in the first class of the PGM program at Ferris. So we were very lucky to have worked for some of the classic guys out there and, and Gary Wyron and these guys brought people in like, um, you know, to pursuing us, and so we we kind of there. We knew a lot, you know. We were the we were the new guy on the block, you know. And so, and as you progress and you you begin to understand that you're maybe not quite as good as you thought you were, you begin to search out things. And in my career, I think what's helped me search out things even more than anything else, I'm sure that Jim and John will agree with it, is, you know, when I first started teaching, the best thing you had really was a sequence camera. Uh, and then maybe if you're lucky you had a, one of these big, bulky cameras you had to roll out with a golf cart uh, for, for showing people how. And, and now we, we, we do it with our cell phones. I mean, so the ability to show our students what's actually happening in their swing uh, is, is, is can't be overrated from an instructor standpoint. Um, because as we all know, teaching anything is about communicating what you know to the student in a manner like uh, John was in, in a manner that they understand it. And I think obviously the better videos we have and the technology, you know, uh, that we, we don't need to be quite as good at communicators that we could show them. Here it is. You can see it, and and it's just a little bit easier. So, I think in in my career, um, what's helped me better is obviously just more knowledge about actually what's happening. And I think that come out of the advancement of the technology that we've seen, you know, over the last 40 years in my case. So, yeah, you always would like to go back and do it again. Um, but there's nothing that says you can't just take the new student. Like Jim's got a lot of, a lot of young kids, a lot of young players. So now we can impart that onto them uh, and, and move forward in a better fashion. Well said. Um, Jim, what about uh, you? Obviously, you know, you've been teaching this, um, you know, pushing 40 years now, and you've obviously 
done a lot of growth and a lot of uh, reflection, I'm sure, over the years and on how you first got into um, the game as a teacher professional. What do you think, is there one thing that stands out in your mind um, that has maybe changed or evolved, maybe is a better way to put it for you? Well, uh, I would say that the basis of my instruction hasn't changed too much in the fact that uh, I have always worked in the idea of changing or fixing the ball flight period in in the ball flight laws. I always kind of lived in there of what was the ball doing and how was the player affecting that, which brings us to what has evolved, and that is the tools that I have learned and evolved with, like John was saying, be relevant, you've got to continue to learn, but to put more tools into my toolbox of how to communicate the fixes for those laws. So the root of the discussion is is same, but how I'm delivering it, what information I'm, I'm using to deliver it, what drills I've uh, gleaned from other professionals that I've had the, the, the privilege of watching and observing and mentors that I have worked with, uh, that information and the tools are different and are continually and always evolving. Uh, to what uh, Clint was saying, you know, with the evolution of technology and, you know, now we can video and, and show better video today off of our phone than, than we had years ago. Uh, and the the ability to communicate that through that and training aids and drills and all those things uh, continue to evolve in how we use what's available to us now. So the basis is the same, but how I'm delivering it with what I'm delivering, with uh, how we're structuring a lesson, how we're structuring practice after the lesson, their prescription, all of those things are continually evolving and learning, not just from going and observing other professionals, but watching things on media now. We have social media that has information. We have YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. And we can gather from many more sources and and kind of massage and, and make it our own in how we deliver that information. So the evolution of communication and the tools used to make the fixes, that's evolved, but the fix itself has never changed. Also well said. Uh, great answers, guys. Uh, really, um, you know, share a, a lot of insight into your careers because, you know, I think it really, I think for most people, um, they don't realize what goes on behind, um, you know, a, a teacher's thought process. I mean, obviously there are certain things that are going to stand the test of time. All of you really acknowledge through reflection that, you know, even though many of the core principles may still remain the same, uh, the evolution is partially through technology changes, but also um, as you develop a better understanding of the game in itself has allowed you to, then kind of morph what you already knew 
and develop into even better and more uh, productive ways of relaying that information to your students, which ultimately is going to make them a much better player in the long run. So here's a little bit of a fun one, in a sense. What I'd like to do is ask you, uh, again, we'll go in the same uh, order. Um, John, if you could pick, and this is, when I, well, let me preface this. When I, I say this, this is not meant from a perspective of a criticism to uh, fellow professionals, but if you could pick one thing that you would like to see more golf teachers today add to their instruction, what would it be? Wow, that's that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> that's why I said. That's why I said. You're, you're, just stop you, you can have the that's first, why. You have the first shot at that one, John. Go ahead. <laughs> Let's see, not as a make, criticism, as um, a yeah, just something, and it might be. It could be anything. <laughs> it's it's not meant to be to come across as a criticism, but just something that you thought. Hey, you know, I would love to see more teachers doing this. Square dance. How's that? Um, yeah. <laughs> are you teaching? Uh, <laughs> the more I I think I've been real privileged the past month. I've been to a couple of different teaching conferences, and a, and a similar question was asked at the first one I went to, and I think everybody in the room somewhat agreed that we'd all wish more knowledge upon each other. Uh, and that mm-hmm. that's hard to do because everybody's time is is managed different. But there there's so much incredible knowledge out there. I'll give you an example. Um, there's a for-profit university that came out with a master's degree in golf not too long ago, and I decided to take a crack at it. And it wasn't necessarily exactly what I thought it was going to be, but what I did learn from it there's a ton of scientific papers out there about golf. Mm-hmm. It, you name mm-hmm. the theory, you name what it is you want to learn, and you can probably find it. And I can't remember the name of the Google directory. It's a separate Google directory that deals with scientific papers. And you can go in there and search and search and read and read all day long. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. And, and to wish that upon everybody, us included on the call, on the, on the show, I think it, it, knowledge can be dangerous, let me say it that way, but I'd wish more knowledge upon everybody. As I'd wish that for everybody, I'd also hope that they would provide themselves some patience to understand mm-hmm. how to use that knowledge correctly. Interesting. That's an interesting answer. Um... Clint, what about you? What uh, One thing that you could um, instill, if you will, into more teaching professionals out there that you'd like to see them add to their instruction? Well, in, in my opinion, it's, it's real simple, and I, I think that, that John and Jim would do this. I think I think good instructors do. But you, could, like, you can go on, you know, social media, YouTube, and you can get all these, you know, hit, how to hit it better, how to hit it straighter, whatever. I don't see too many people talking about it. Let me teach you how to play our game. We, we get trapped into what the student is looking for. I want to hit it better. Um, you know, so we spend a lot of time trying to, to help a person strike the ball better. And many times I see that 
there's not a whole lot of time spent on, okay, let's, let me help you learn how to use what you already have. How do you, how do you play the game? It is a game, and, and it's a game that we play, uh, and we all can play it at different levels based on how we hit the ball. So, you know, I, I would hope and wish that, that our profession would, would get back to teaching the game and how to play, which also encompasses how to hit the ball, uh, mind you. But I think we get really locked in because of what people see on television and in the ads and media, you know, about there, there's never really any conversation about how to get around the golf course. You can call it course management, strategies, whatever you want to call it. But I find it, it um, in my opinion, that we don't do enough of that. And it most likely is because we as instructors get trapped into trying to give our customer what they come looking for versus right. us kind of taking the hand and lead our players, lead our students into becoming players as well as we lead them into being better hitters. So I, I would hope that we would see that maybe sift back into our, our profession as far as teaching a person how to, how to play the game versus just how to hit a ball better. Here, here. Yeah, that's a great an yeah, that's a great answer as well. Um unfortunately I think and we've talked about this over the years on the show in the past, is you know, there's a lot of heavy marketing out there, not just through social media. Obviously it's becoming more prevalent now because of social media, but you know, that right. you know, grip it and rip it and let's hit it farther and let's, you know, be more solid and consistent. Well who doesn't want to be and have all of that? But at the same time, you're exactly right. You need to know how to put all the pieces together and take it out on the golf course. It's great to be that range rat, but at the same time, you need to be able to take everything you've learned on the lesson tee and apply it out in the golf course. And I know we do that, and most instructors are doing that now where they are taking out there. But, yeah, you're right. I'd like to see it more emphasized on becoming a better player and not just um, hitting uh, with more consistency. That's part and parcel, but... Um, I think you have to be, learn to be a better player as well. Jim, what about you? What, what's, uh, um, you probably, I'm sure, agree with both John and Clint, but do uh, you have something else in mind that uh, you think would, would uh, add to the repertoire of our, our fellow golf professionals? Nope. Jim, are you still with us? Are you on mute? I apologize. I had the mute on there, no, so... No. I wasn't yeah, making no noise there. I apologize. Uh, yeah. I would I would, uh, I would concur with what uh, John has said there. Uh, I think it's uh, spot on. Uh, and I'm going to parallel a little bit with what John was talking about, knowledge and, and, and gaining additional knowledge. Uh, I was just in a uh, teaching summit, and there were 150 uh, professionals in the room, and there was a conversation about, uh, finding professionals to observe how they teach. And there was a recurring theme of questions that came out of there of fear of asking for that opportunity. How do I ask for that opportunity? And so I, I think it's a wonderful thing that we need to do, and I think that professionals should do it, and I think they can do it more than we see happening now. I love to go watch others teach, and I would love to see others do that even more. But along those lines, once we have received
received the information. And, John, you touched on this briefly. How do we disseminate that knowledge to the player so that they can understand it? And I would love to see a continued move towards simplicity and clarity in our communication to our our students and get a little bit away from uh, oftentimes it seems as though the communication is I'm going to tell these players all that I know versus what they actually need to know. And so I think we need to gather that information and how we give it to the players needs to be remained as clear and concise and simple as possible. Hello? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, my apologies. <laughs> I had myself <laughs> muted, um, uh, which probably isn't a bad thing <laughs> sometimes. Um, great. What I said, sorry, was great. Yeah, really. Great, great answer, Jim. Um, well, I was just going to quickly add, you know, what, what I like to see, and, and again, everybody has their own teaching style, and I get that, and obviously people like to differentiate, them, differentiate themselves from others, and that's fine. Um, but I'd like to see more consistency. One thing that I've noticed over the last few years, not as much in this last year, but a few years ago, I remember seeing, you know, pros coming online, and they're sort of critiquing other methods and things like that. I think that that gets into a, a, a gray area that's not conducive to, um, you know, I think the core principles of, of teaching, I think, are all there for pretty much everybody. And it's okay to put a little spin or a little twist, but I think you have to be careful too. That's what I would like to see is that, that we're consistent, not necessarily in the teaching methodologies that we use, but consistent in how we relay that information to our students and making sure that we're not sending mixed messages. So if they're coming to you one day, let's say as an example, and they're hearing one thing and then they're being told something contradicting that the next time, you know, maybe if they try somebody else. So I like to be careful of that. And that's what I mean by consistency. So uh, another fun uh, question here, real, real short, real simple answer. Um, John, favorite club in your bag? Hmm. I could, I could go off the wall. Do you have one? I, I could go off the wall here, but I won't. Uh, Ted knows, but I could do that. Uh, John, so don't say you're a chipper. <laughs> well, I, we, as Jim knows, we have a we we have another name for that here in North Florida. Um, I have to say my putter, uh, and okay. I, that's not to be facetious. It, it's yeah. always been the strength of my game. Uh, it's mm-hmm. always been something I could rely on. It was always something that as soon as I got on the green during my competitive days, I knew that's what was going to even the playing field for me. Uh, I'd have to say that. And and recently I've been switching around putters too much because I lost through no fault of my own the the gamer, the go-to that I had for years and still searching for something that comes close to it. Mm. Yeah, it's you know, putter's a good one. I mean, that that's that that's obviously for some people that's their go-to club, and and I don't blame you. I think um, you know if you're um, getting on the green and you can drop them down uh, pretty quick with that putter, I don't blame you putting that one as your favorite. Uh, Clint, what about you? What's what's the favorite club? Do you have one in your bag? And if so, what is it? 
Well, you know, I think that changes from time to time, depending on how you're playing. Um, you know, I, I guess if you ask some of my friends that, that they were going to gamble on a good shot, they'd probably call it a three wood. Um, but, you know, um, but it, but as far as the club, I think, like John's saying, that, that carries you through, um, I, I think I pitched the ball pretty good. I, I like my, my wedges. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the – the the whole thing about uh, the the game you know evening things out uh, per se is that if you're competent with the wedges I mean hitting greens in regulation are important but it makes it easier to hit them in uh, in regulation because you know if you miss and as we all know the closer you chip it the better putter you are uh, mm-hmm. so I, I would say probably the the clubs that I would say would be a go to that would level the playing field, as John kind of said, it would be my wedges. Any any particular wedge, just your pitching wedge or, or no, one of those? No, just, just the, the shots that I hit with those clubs. Um, particularly maybe the, the more important ones to me would be within 15, 20 yards of the green. Uh, par fives, missing the green. A 60 degree to 54 degrees, the two I carry. Okay. Good answer. Um, Jim, what about you? Unmute first, don't forget, and uh, what's, your, what's your favorite club in the bag? <laughs> I just checked. <laughs> uh, my favorite would be a 58-degree wedge. Uh, oh. it's, it's one that I'm, uh, I'm successful with, and it also is one that I love to practice with. Uh, I love to just hmm. take it and, and drop a few balls around the green and play from different situations and and hit it high, hit it low, et cetera, and uh, see how much I can spin it and see how little I can spin it. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to work with, and uh, it, it saves me a lot on the golf course, just like the guys have said. kind of kind of makes the rest of the game a little easier knowing that I can use that and have some success to recover from a, an indifferent shot. So, yeah, the 50 no, I think it wedge. Yeah, I think everybody um, kind of has that favorite go-to, and, and typically I think you're right. I think wedges or, or certainly even putter as well, I think, in the short game. And, and that's interesting because, you know, you hear a lot of amateurs might pick. Like, I'll be honest, I, I love my 7-iron, but I'm also, uh, again, I love my wedges as well. 7-iron um, is a favorite club, and it just I have something about the number 7, I guess, but it's just a favorite club I love to hit. But, you know, you hear a lot of amateurs will not necessarily always focus on that short game. It's like, well, yeah, I really like my, my hybrids or I like, you know, they're always thinking about something. I've even had some say, you know, my favorite club in the bag is the driver. And uh, you don't hear too many of those, but um, it's always kind of interesting to, to hear people's answers on that. All right, John, I come back to you. And this is going to be a real, this, this is going to be, I'm sorry to do this to you, brother, but you're going to have to be first uh, on the chopping block for this. Um, you discover in the middle of a lesson that it's not going well. Do you A, stop the lesson to regroup, B, end the lesson early, C, reschedule for another day, or D, do something completely different? And if you need me to read any of those back, let me know. So A, mine, stop the lesson to regroup. Minus D. Minus D. I'm glad you gave me do something else because I'm going to take the person to the bar and we're going to sit down and have a come to Jesus meeting. And one of us is going to lose. (laughs) 
<laughs> I like that. That's it. I fi- that no, I think <laughs> I figured uh, you would probably go with that one. But um, Clint, uh, what about you? Middle of a lesson, things not going so well. Uh, do you concur with John, or do you have um, maybe a different well, perspective? <clears throat> I could take the easy way out and go with John. Maybe John and I both need to go to the bar. Maybe I, I'm not real sure. Um, but you know, we, we've all we've all experienced that uh, in our careers, where the you know the student just gets a little anxious or you know upset with themselves. And generally, we've done it many a time. Is says, you know, um, let's take a break. Sit down here in the car. Let, let's go take a break. And and uh, I'm sneaky enough to say, you know. Hey, what, dude? We got plenty of time. I need to go talk to this guy over here. Let's let's ride over there and watch them play a few holes, just to just to break the monot, you know, break it up, um, get the student maybe to relax a little bit, take the tension out of the out of the out of the uh, effort. Uh, so yeah, you know, and I think that's what John says. Hey, let's let's just break the tension. Let's go and relax for a little bit, and if we got time, we can regroup and try again. But it, it's always good when you recognize that the student is getting frustrated. Um, it, it's up to the it's up to the instructor to take charge there. Uh, you know, let's break it up. Um, go relax a minute. Have a Coca Cola or something. We'll come back to it maybe. Okay. I, I agree. I think that's a great Southern gentleman way of saying it. Right. I was I was I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say, in John's case, uh, you don't want to be standing too close to the edge of the 18th green at Macklemore uh, when you're having that come to Jesus <laughs> moment because it's a long, a long drop down. It's a long drop, that's, isn't it? Yeah, it's a long that, drop. That's why there's a rope hanging from that cypress tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's your way back up. Um, right. Uh, so, Jim, um, what about you? Uh, what's your uh, what's your response here? Are you going to dive in with with D as as John did, or are you going to try something different? No, I I, I would probably uh, I, I would move down the road of D. Uh, I would I would find a way to have a break, either let's go under the tent and, and talk about life. Uh, try to you know from my uh, knowledge of the player, if it's a repeat customer, if it's a new customer, from the knowledge of the uh, interview process, uh, maybe they said that they played a, a particular sport as a youth. I may go and have a conversation about that, or I may take it and, uh, and shift to another element of the game. You know, maybe we're working on the mm-hmm. full swing and it's, it's not quite working, and uh, I may take what we're working on over to the short game area and, and hit some pitch shots or hit some chip shots or even shift it as much to go putt. Um, but I would, I, would, I would divert it into a different topic, a different location mm-hmm. on the practice area, maybe even take them on the golf course. Uh, I'll, I'll use an example that I do with my, my younger set, uh, the, the little kids, um, I have what I call the the St. Cloud roller coaster, and if you drive down the eight, the ninth hole on a red nine, there's a number of little hills to the one side of the fairway, and I'll take them and I say, okay, we're going to go for a ride on the hills, and I take them and drive them up and down those hills, and they laugh and giggle and and carry on, and we do two or three laps of that, and then we come back and. And, and start again. Uh, so just something to clear the air, clear the head, 
grow the muscles uh, and, and get them rechanneled and retooled. Uh, I think that's good. You could actually, really, you could do, uh, you could really consider that um, A more so than D is, is to essentially stop the lesson to regroup. That kind of falls in that yeah. little bit as well. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's great. No, uh, um, you know, uh, the, the main thing is really always, we, we always have a situation like this where things are not just either the student for whatever reason isn't grasping what we're talking about or struggling with certain things. And sometimes you just have to, you know, as, as everybody said, is kind of put the brakes on a little bit. Let's regroup. Let's, you know, figure out what, what the, the, the problem is. Is it something that, you know, we're not, you know, explaining things in a way that they're completely understanding or is it a matter of they're just not really being focused and you know you need to sometimes take a step back and do that so um but great answers i thought uh, i thought we would have some uh, some good ones uh, for that john i'm coming back to you and, and th- this one here is another kind of interesting uh, question as well is what is the craziest um request you have received over your teaching career and please keep it clean. Uh, before I give that answer, Jim, is that why Bill's cart repair bill is so high? The, the roller coaster? Uh, it could be. could be, but I haven't told him about <laughs> it, so I, I'm not taking the blame for any of that. Well, it's, it's out in the public now. Uh, Ted, the I answer know. to your question is very politically correct. No comment. Uh, no, the craziest <laughs> question Craziest, geez, the craziest request. When you do golf schools across the country, you get some really, really, really good, good requests. Um, so many that not really one stands out. Um, the I, I think probably, probably the the general theme of all the requests is enough's not enough, and I want more. Mm-hmm related to non-golf items. Uh, can I have this in my room or uh, can we do this instead of this? And uh, it's like, well, sure, it's your time, it's your money. Um, and, but what it all boils down back to is when they're doing all this and they look at me and go, well, when are we going to get to golf? I'm like, whenever you're done. Uh, that's fine with me. Just go have some fun. Uh I, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I got to ponder that a little bit. I tend to forget those things and move on uh, because a lot of times from a, an instructor standpoint of view, I think the other two will agree. It's not so much a waste of our time, just it's it's a waste of time period. And mm-hmm. in the service business that we're in that relates to time, things that we've wasted time with before we tend to forget. Uh, and, yeah. and just move on. Uh, and that's, uh, I'm not trying to cop out. I'm just, I've had some doozies in the past, but, but I, one <laughs> popping up in my head, I, I can't think of. Not a problem. I can Clint, tell you some uh, stories as an assistant, but that that's not <laughs> what the question was. <laughs> I'm sure, no, <laughs> I'm sure we'll have to say, we'll have to save that, uh, that, uh, for a, for another time, but um, no, that's a new uh, show definitely. For 2024. I don't. How's that? Yeah, I, I think that sure. could be. Yeah, we may have to have a uh, um, a crazy coach's corner segment. Um, Clint, what about you? I know to expect, as John said, the, the 
Southern gentlemanly uh, answer to this, but craziest request that you had ever received over your career? Well, I don't know if it's crazy. I'm kind of like with John. You, you get all kind of people and questions that they, they come to a lesson with, and, and there's been crazy things that's happened during a lesson, but not necessarily requests. But, um, you know, I guess the one that always I chuckle and understand that the request is impossible is, this, you know, they will call you or show up and says, man, I'm in a panic mode. I got to play golf with my boss in two weeks. I haven't played golf in so long. Can you get me where I'm not going to embarrass myself? And I just chuckle and says, not really. I mean, you know, you know I'm not even going to take your money because I can't help you for that. It's going to be embarrassing because you're, you're just going to be so nervous. Nothing's going to work right. And uh, just relax and go and enjoy the day. And, and uh, if your bosses ask you to come play golf with them, they probably like you anyway. So regardless of how much you play or how bad you play, it's not really going to make much of a difference. But So that's the one I always get to chuckle because people just think they can, you know, learn it overnight. And and uh, and they're, they're desperate trying to get something done to – to make sure they look as good as they can in front of the people that might be important to them. But it's always kind of a little bit of a chuckle when that happens. I agree. Um, Jim, what about yourself? Uh, and if you want to rephrase it, not necessarily crazy request, if you want to say some of that, one of the craziest things that's ever happened to you over your teaching career, again, <laughs> please keep it clean, but go ahead, whatever you, whatever you want to add. Well, it, it is kind of a, a request, and it came out of uh, a golf school where John was saying, when you do golf schools, you see a lot of people, and, and you get some interesting situations. And uh, we would always start our golf school on a Sunday evening. We would have a social hour and, and dinner. And uh, I was mingling about. We had about uh, 40 people in the golf school, and, and I struck up conversation with uh, a couple. And as we were talking, I noticed the lady had a cocktail in her hand, and her hand was shaking so much that it looked as though she was going to spill this all over the floor. And so I asked her if she was okay, and, and she said, I'm just nervous. I said, you're nervous? What are you nervous for? This golf school, I'm just extremely nervous about coming tomorrow, and I don't think I can do it. And so I tried to calm her, and, and uh we got to a point where she finally agreed and said, okay, I'll come tomorrow. But if I come tomorrow, you have to do an activity that I like. And I thought, <laughs> how do I answer this? <laughs> where is this keep, keep it clean. Keep it clean, Jim. Keep it clean. <laughs> it is. It is. And I okay. finally agreed. I said, okay. If you come tomorrow, she was there, her husband was standing right next to her, and uh, I said, if you come tomorrow, I will do the activity that you want. She said, okay, after golf school, we're going skydiving. (laughs) She was (laughs) terrified to come to golf school on Monday morning, but jumps out of planes. And I'll say wow. that I did not go skydiving, by the way. <laughs> I, I think I would have been, yeah, I think I would have handed her check back and said, thank you for, for coming out anyways. But yeah, no, yeah. you never know, especially if she's the one packing the chute. Um, but anyways, yeah, that, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully she learned well on the lesson tee. But 
Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Y'all, everybody gets some some odd requests and have some uh, unique situations. And and uh, maybe as John said, in 2024, we'll really cut loose and talk about some things because I guarantee we all have got some uh, some real doozies to share. All right, so John, I'm going to come back to you on this one here. This is really one I think it can be answered by by one of you, and I'll I'll pick some other things for for the other guys, but. In your estimation, just uh, your, again your opinion, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is or isn't, but just in your 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 opinion, which ranks higher with you, a player's ability to strike the ball well, or scramble successfully under difficult circumstances? Which is your answer and why? The the second to be able to scramble under difficult circumstances because what you're proving is that you're more mentally tough than your competitors, that you can handle adversity. Ball striking is a skill that's learned. Handling adversity, you can learn, but it is a little bit more innate. And and to get better at it takes much more time than the skill of striking a golf ball, in my opinion. I'm sure I would get, I would get a lot of debate with that with a lot of different people, but having played at a professional level, uh, knowing what it takes to handle adversity, uh, learning to hit a golf ball well is only as good as the adversity you're handling to hit that golf ball well with. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and it really bodes to uh, Clint's point that he made earlier about really learning how to play the game. I mean, you can be, you know, there's so many examples on the PGA and, and obviously LPGA Tour of great ball strikers. Um, but when it comes to scrambling and, you know, successfully, you know, winning events, um, they don't rank as high. I mean, Tiger comes to, to mind on the opposite side of the thing. You know, he certainly was a, a, an incredible ball striker, but he wasn't one of the best on tours, but yet he was an, uh, an amazing scrambler, uh, in difficult situations. I mean, how many times have we seen him spray a tee shot into what thought to be an unlikely, you know, uh, situation to get out of? And he would pull off some miraculous shot, and you know, obviously, there's a, a, an element of luck in there, but uh, as well. But he had the ability to scramble in given dirt, uh, circumstances, and it's because he practiced in those situations. He didn't practice off a perfect lie every time. So uh, I, I agree with you he on that. And, and I to, he made his own right. Life. Exactly. That, that's right. That's that's the point. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well said, um, Clint. I'm going to give you a different. Uh, question obviously because I, I think john's already mm-hmm. wrapped that one up nicely absolutely um, did. yes what what factors should a player consider when deciding what golf shot to play so you can take any scenario if you want what mm-hmm. should factors should they consider before they hit that next shot well i i think that really kind of comes down to what level of player you may be talking about i mean um you know a more accomplished player is is most likely considering where he wants the ball to land on the green uh, to avoid, uh, not necessarily to play to avoid something, but to play what they want. You know, you, you look at your average player, uh, when they're facing a shot that, that they've got to maybe max out a, a, a five iron to get to the front of the green, and they got bunkers all in front, they might want to consider hitting a seven iron, laying it up uh, to to play into the easier shot. I mean, you, you know, the 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 real concept we all all try to do is is the shot I'm about to hit's purpose is to make the next one easier. 
uh, not harder. And so that's what I've always tried to get people to do is, is, okay, if you can't get this ball on the green or you don't feel confident, where's your next easiest shot coming from? Is it out of that bunker on the front of the green or is it just short of the bunker? So play to the, where you consider would be the easiest next shot. If I'm talking to a player that may be not in the fairway, that, that's out in the, you know, in the edges where they, they've got to keep the ball under a tree or over a tree, is I want them to determine and make a decision on the shot that they can be 100% successful with. We don't want to let one bad shot multiply into two or three more. Um, you know, take your medicine, you've hit it out in the trees, now let's get it back to where my next shot's easier again. I don't want to hit this ball and make my next shot harder. So we wanted to try to make those decisions on what do I feel 100% confident that I can be successful with. Uh, and, and that's the, the whole idea. I think if you look at it in a nutshell or you want to have a saying about it, when I'm deciding on what shot to hit, I want to play the shot I consider that gives me the best chance of making my next shot easier. That very interesting. A, a great answer. Um, Jim, I'm going to give you this one here. Um, name a couple or, or even three things based, again, obviously uh, from your experience, that golfers tend to stress too much over during their rounds. Maybe a couple of things. If you can only think of two, that's fine, or three things um, that golfers tend to stress too much about during their round. I would say uh, one item at the very beginning of the round uh, when they're going to hit that first tee shot and there's a line of people along the the first tee box and they're they're so nervous of performing and stressed out over not topping that first one or uh maybe they're playing golf with a new group of 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 players and and they're they're stressed over hitting a poor shot and embarrassing themselves and so i think that's one area that they stress on a lot uh Another one is uh, where might this ball go? I think that is a is a very big stressor, and you know mm-hmm. they stand over that shot that has to go in the water, and, and in the back of their mind they say, oh please, please, please don't go in the water, and then of course it goes in the water because they just programmed water in their mind, and so the stress right. of that uh, we even see them take out an old ball. Uh, well, they just planted that idea again in their mind, saying, well, this ball is all but gone, uh, and uh, I'm just going to go on the other side and drop another one. So they stress over that situation. And I would say a third one is just overall the stress of performance for their score. Uh, they yep. they feel as though if they don't score well enough, then they aren't a good enough person. It kind of correlates back mm-hmm. to who they are versus, you know what, this is a game, as Clint said. We're out there to have some fun. We're hitting a little white ball around a wonderful uh, field that's manicured extremely well, and I don't have to do the maintenance on it, and it's a beautiful place. We need to be out there having fun, but we stress so much over uh, what other people think based on my performance or how I hit a shot and or how I scored at the end of the day. You know, I think the last one particularly, all three of them were great, uh, great answers, of course, but the last one particularly I think is a big one for a lot of golfers. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of times 
when I've gone out with, with folks and they're, you know, maybe playing, you know, five, six holes, let's say, as an example, and they're, you know, focusing on where they are, what, what score they're going to have, and, and they're just focusing on the numbers. And I think when they get thinking that, well, you know, this will put me two under if I, if I sink this putt, or this will put me three over, or whatever the case is, and they're focusing on the number instead of on the shot. And I think what I really would love for people to do is not, you know, just go out in a, in a pra- you call it a practice round, whatever you want to call it, when you go out yourself, and obviously if you're playing in an event or something, it's different, but just with your buddies and go out and say, you know what, guys, let's just go out and have some fun today. Let's not keep score. Um, you don't have to do it all the time, but just maybe once in a while just say we're not going to keep score today, even if you just play nine holes. Just go out and have some fun. Forget about it and just focus on the shots at hand. And, uh, and I think you'll tend to be a little bit more relaxed when you go out there. Um, all right, I've got another interesting question for the three of you. Uh, again, it's a simple uh, question, uh, but I want to remind you uh, before you answer that you are being recorded, and um, 35%, 35% of the uh, audience is, uh, is female that tunes into Golf Talk Live, so I just want you to be aware of that. So based on your, uh, John, I'm throwing you under the bus first, based on your teaching experience, who absorbs or retains more during a lesson, men or women? Why? Um, the, it, it, whether, whether it was male or female and you told me it was 35% or 85%, I would tell you that the golfer who's more committed to their own improvement, making an investment of themselves into themselves, or the ones that's going to retain it more, uh, male or female. Um, everybody's got, from a gender aspect, I think everybody's got their pluses and minuses. And sure. it's all based on what's going on at home, what's going on in the business, what's going on with the family. And each gender sees that somewhat differently. When it comes down to retention, uh, I feel very confident making that statement that it's the committed golfer that's going to be the mm-hmm. one who retains more, regardless of gender, regardless of age, um, and even regardless of physical ability. I would say that because, it, and Jim can speak more about this than I can, as far as what's retained by the people who have a disability, who have a, who have something in their way that they can't get out of their way permanently. Um, when you see more commitment, you see more retention, you see more sustainability. Uh, I don't. I don't think that. I don't call that a gender question at all. I think that's a commitment question. Yeah, I I agree with you. I I agree that obviously the person that's that uh, that's more committed and and is going to absorb. This was really obviously a fun question. Um, Clint, I'm going to see if you're going to take the bite on this one. Um, do you think typically, let me rephrase it a little bit, may not necessarily be absorb or retain, um, but do you have you noticed during your teaching experience that who tends to be more, um, not eager, I guess is not the word, but um, more receptive, that be another word to use, who is more receptive to learning at the time during the lesson. Have you noticed that? Or, or do you agree with John that it's really whoever's more committed well, in, in other ways? Uh, 
I, I'm not real sure what John and Jim's situation is, but I'm highly skilled at answering this question. Uh, <laughs> I was raised by a grandmother, a mother. I have a wife, two daughters. Uh, so I'm very skilled at answering this question. <laughs> so um, I, um, I have a question. Are you skilled or something? Oh, no. It's let's base a little bit on fear, I would think, yeah. Um, but I, I ask everybody that comes to take lessons that, that I've worked with, and in all seriousness, I ask them, what are you doing here? What do you want to do? Why are you here? Uh, the kids, I always ask them, is this your parents' idea or is it your idea? And I think that this dovetails into what John was saying. The answer to that question will tell you exactly who is going to be the most attentive and have more retention of what you're talking about, the way they answer that question. And generally, if the kid says, well, my dad wanted me to come out and play, then that triggers me to, well, we just go have us some fun, you know, because that's what you're here to have is some fun. Your dad, you know, you're not here to become a player, you know, but, um, you know, so I, I think John's absolutely correct. As the person that comes there kind of, quote, of their own free will, and looking to to challenge themselves maybe or to improve what they've started if they're, a, you know, an intermediate player, that's the person that's going to be the one that, that I'll feel comfortable with uh, spending my time with. Um, we all have, as instructors, we all have limited time if you want to look at it. I mean, we, we're not going to stand out on the tee box for – you know, 20 hours a day, we have limited time. We want to play golf, have a few days off. So we want to spend our time with people that are committed. And if you ask that question, you, you can figure out pretty quickly which was going to be. And I agree with John. I mean, I don't think it's gender or age has anything to do with it. I mean, I think it's the personality and the character of the person standing in front of you uh, who's going to get the, the most out of what you have to tell them. Hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll accept that answer. Jim, what about you? <laughs> now, let me actually... Okay. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody's wanting to dive right in there. So, um, No, I, I, I get... Let me just say this before you answer, Jim. I, I get, and I agree 100% with what you, John and, and Clint uh, said. I guess what I was really looking for is, and, and the reason why I asked it in the manner I asked it, is because I have found... Not in every case, but in a lot of cases, I think men tend to come into things with more of an ego, where women tend to be a little bit more receptive. Um, and that's really what I was looking for to see if, if you had also noticed that as well. Because, again, everybody – and, again, everybody's different. You've got to take each student uh, individually, and I get that. But that's really what I was looking to see is, in your experience, how have you found – doesn't mean that one's better than the other. It's just obviously they're different. But, Jim, go ahead. I'll uh, – I'll let you uh, throw yourself a lifeline if you want. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to go with what you've, you've, you've said there. And, and the women I have found uh, in, my, in my time have been more inquisitive overall. Now, I'm generalizing here because there are inquisitive sure. men. Uh, but right. if, if I had to take the population and percentages – they tend to be more inquisitive. Uh, but then mm -hmm. I'm going to take the high road with the guys as well and say that <laughs> I think overall, <laughs> it, 
it's the one that has the right expectations of the of the lesson uh, that they're not expecting beyond what they're capable of or expecting beyond what they could learn there. And uh, the women ask more questions, but I think it's the the committed golfer, as John said, and or the one that has the the expectations in line with, and I'm going to say it this way, their expectations are in line with their commitment. They can commit to this amount of time, this energy, uh, this work, and my expectation is congruent with that commitment. But going back again, the ladies ask more questions, so they'll probably receive the information easier or more. I, I thank you for for jumping into the pond, Jim. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly all and all the you guys were all correct on that. I mean, I, again, and you know, I wasn't certainly trying to inject it in in a different way. Really, what, what I was looking for was what I suggested was just that, you know, I, I think, and again, you can't. I'm not labeling both in the same in the same thing, but um, I tend to notice in a lot of cases more so from the men's perspective that you tend to have more. And I think it's because it's a pride thing. It's, you know, it's a, a macho thing, if you will. They don't want to look bad. Um, certainly the women don't want to look bad, but they're a little bit more humble. I think sometimes coming in, especially if they've never played before the men tend to, you know, be more boastful and, and whatnot. So I was just curious about that. Uh, all right. Um, Next question, come back to the top with John. Um, this one's really, uh, again, sort of a reflective thing. If you uh, had uh, a different career, uh, if golf was not in your repertoire, not, not meaning you didn't play, but if you didn't teach, if that was not your, your job, what else would you like to have done or do if you were not a golf professional? I'd, I'd, so I came into golf from a different sport. And one of the reasons I came into golf from the different sport is because it gave me the opportunity to coach. And I believe that great coaching can not only say, it can sh- a great coach can show. So I'd probably be coaching possibly another sport. Um, mm-hmm. And possibly uh, I've really gotten into the business side of golf, running the schools and such, and I'd probably see myself on that. Let me call it, um, it's it's the wrong, no, that's the right word. I'd be in the front office somewhere, probably in some type of sports-minded business if I wasn't coaching. Huh? Good answer. I like that. It's uh, very different, of course. Um and and I, I agree with you. I think it's I think would do very well in obviously in both, but uh, but that's uh, definitely would, I think would fit you very well. Um, Clint, what about you? If uh, you were not teaching this great game, um, and has there ever been something else, a different career path that you would have liked to have done? Oh, I I can answer that very quickly and easily. I was on another career path. Um, until the PGA of America and Ferris State University decided to put together a golf program, uh, I was on my way to law school, uh, with, without a doubt. Uh, and that program bailed me out of having to pass the bar. 
you know, uh, and, and uh, history, history as it is, has shown that it was a pretty good idea. So I'll have to uh, have to say that that the, the PGA and and Ferris's timing was was perfectly ideal for me at my age and well, and what I really wanted to do, uh, but. Uh, yeah, a lot, I would have been an attorney, I'm afraid. Well, I'm glad you uh, deviated from uh, law school and ended up becoming <laughs> um, a, a, a great golf coach. Me, not that, not, not that. Me and you too. We, we we got enough lawyers out there. We don't need any more. But uh, oh yeah, I think well, you, well, <laughs> I can't I can't say anything. My brother-in-law is a district attorney in Florida, so I I, mean, I can't I, I can't say anything about attorney. So. <laughs> Well, it's good to know in case I get in trouble in Florida. He's retired now, but he knows a few of the judges that could help you out just in case. <laughs> well, I'll have to be careful then. Um, Jim, what about <laughs> yeah, you? you? If, 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 <laughs> I'm counting on you, Clint. Um, Jim, if you weren't t- teaching this great game as well, what would uh, what would be uh, your next pick? Well, before I uh... – before I got into the game, uh, as I am now, uh, I was in the food and beverage business. And coming out of college, I debated two directions. One, much like Clint said there, I considered law school, and I considered it uh, on the agent's perspective of being a sports agent, uh, contract negotiations and that sort for athletes. But I also had contemplated going to culinary school from my bachelor's and uh, becoming uh, uh, more involved in the food and beverage business. So I kind of went both ways and uh, ended up in the golf business. (laughs) Well, I'm glad all three of you ended up in the golf business. I think you've served the industry very, very well with uh, all of your years of experience and uh, um, having the opportunity through not only the show but uh, in – personal situations, getting to know all three of you, um, I'm glad you chose the, the career path that you chose. Um, it's it served everybody well, and and uh, if you had have been lawyers or something else, uh, we may not have had the opportunity to have you on the Coach's Corner panel, so uh, glad you guys picked the choice that you did. Um, I want to just sort of open up the discussion just a little bit. Um, that was sort of the, the pick of the questions that I had. Obviously, I ended it with the, with the career choice, but um, obviously in, in golf news of late, uh, I want to get your thoughts and opinions. And again, this is not a, you know, a Q and a right answer, wrong answer. Just a, like to, uh, because it is uh, been put in the forefront. Um, obviously the uh, USGA and the RNA have talked, uh, had discussions about rolling uh, the ball back uh, in its distance. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Um, is it a good thing in your opinion? Is it something long overdue or is um, it something that has already been opened up years ago and it's kind of hard to put that back in the, in the jar? Um, John, what do you think about that? They, they want to roll the, the ball back. Um, is it too late to do that in your opinion? Um, is it a good idea in your opinion? I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, they claim it's going to happen. I, I don't. I don't see it happening. Um, they may roll the ball back, and the current equation is being debated by science quite a bit. But I think by time it's instituted, was it 2028 for the pros and 2030 for amateurs? 
I think yeah. all the golfers are going to figure something out where the rollback will be negligible, if any. Uh, and, and I think that's something both governing bodies didn't really look towards. I, I think the I'll, – I'll keep it brief, and, and because I am being recorded, Ted, i got to keep things politically sure. correct. There's a yeah, lot of money being thrown out there. There's, there's a ton of money, and, and we can follow the money with this story. And, and I think what the USGA is doing right now, the RNA, is following the money of the clubs that are becoming obsolete that they don't want to become obsolete because these clubs are just sick and tired of having to spend tens of millions of dollars to continue to be relevant. So mm-hmm. it, from that side, it's somewhat of a cop-out from them, hey, how do we keep these places relevant? Uh, you keep them relevant by changing the conditions people are playing on, not necessarily mm-hmm. rolling the ball back. And I think by two, you know, five years from now, we're going to see stronger, more gifted athletes who have been at the craft a lot longer, more committed for a longer period of time. And you hear this word quite a bit from the clubs that our, that our courses are being disrespected. They're not being disrespected. They're being carved up like Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel. I mean, these, mm-hmm. these guys are coming up with creative ways to play golf, and there's more of that to come. Uh, let them roll it back, do whatever they got to do for the testing. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen for a lot of different reasons from a business standpoint of view, but I think if they left everything in place in five years, It'd be negligible. The yin and the yang to it is the golfers that we serve are going to be the losers. They're ultimately the people who are going to be most affected by this. Yeah, and 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 uh, well said. And and Clint, just just to add to this a little bit, you know, I, I wonder too. You know, it's it's very easy for them to talk about rolling, uh, you know, the the ball back. But you know, what about the equipment? You know, is, is that going to be adjusted well. as well? But, you know, I mean, there, there's so yeah. many factors to play in it. I mean, I don't think that the the just rolling the ball back is going to make a difference. On the other hand, you know, there, there's the argument that gets presented out there a lot of the times is, yeah. you know, uh, courses are becoming obsolete. I mean, look what happened with, uh, you know, years ago when, when, you know, Tiger came on the scene and Augusta National had to, you know, lengthen uh, their course somewhat just to be able to accommodate these big hitters. But I think you're always going to have big hitters, regardless of, of whether they roll the ball back or not. What, what are your thoughts well, on this uh, topic? Yeah, well, there's. let me not – I'm not going to be as politically correct as John here, to be honest with you. I'm not a real big fan of the USGA to start with uh, because they they revel in what they consider their own damn importance. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I mean, back in the day, you had George Bear that hit a long way, then Suchek and Jim Dent. Every generation has had the bombers, okay? The numbers just changed. But what it really comes down to is that the USGA and the Royal and Ancient can roll it back and have an approved ball list. I think we still have one. They published it years ago. Here's the balls you can use in a USGA event. Now, mm-hmm. That's fine. They they have their own tournaments, and they can write the rules they want for their events. But when it really comes down to it, people that are out here playing golf that we deal with on a day-to-day basis really don't care what the Royal and Ancient and the USGA thinks about the ball they're using. 
they're going to use the rocket ball if they can find one. Okay? Uh, so, and the problem with that is, is that as, you know, the clubs I've always been associated with has paid that yearly membership dues to the USGA, and we're a proud member of, proud member club of the USGA, and we're going to run our events based on the USGA rule book, I think you're going to see that disappear some because the, the, the club board is going to feel the pressure from all their members. Well, I want to play this ball here. It goes further. I don't care what's on the USGA approved list because I'm not playing in the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. uh, so we don't care. So I think if they really start pressing this, is they're going to push themselves a little bit over the cliff that people really don't care what they think or what actions they may want to take to roll this ball back. Anyway, if you look in the rule book, the golf ball is a limited flight ball already. It can only fly so many feet per second and carry so far. So it's not like they haven't been limiting the ball forever. They have been. So I don't, I don't get the idea of why they think this big rollback thing is going to solve their problem. I agree with John. I mean, you know, they're, they're chewing Oakmont uh, up, you know. Uh, Augusta has spent millions of dollars buying parts of Augusta Country Club to build more tee box. You know, so, yeah, yeah I, I agree with John. I think it is follow the money and who's putting the pressure on the, the old members clubs of the USGA, who's really calling the shots. And uh, to be honest with you, I think your local uh, private club or the, the municipal club or the public golf course, they really don't care. Uh, they're mm -hmm. going to go out and, and play golf and enjoy their day, and they're going to play whatever equipment they think can hit it further. Because I can tell you, is it uh, the experiences that I've had in the last two years working for a major company out there doing club fittings and demo days for, on days, they don't come back to me which club they can hit straighter. They want to know which one they can hit further. Right. Point blank, right. simple it, it, as it comes. Okay. Yeah, it, exactly. No, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have said it any more than that. Um, Jim, what are your thoughts on yeah. this, if you have any? Uh, you know, my thoughts, I, I'm not a fan of it, to be honest with you. Uh I don't know that the rollback is going to have as huge of an effect on the average player that hits it, you know, maybe they drive it 250 yards. How much are they going to lose on the rollback? You know, I've I've read different articles, and they're saying it's minimal what they're going to lose, that the tour pros, because of their speed, is going to lose more. Uh, but right. I'm, I'm a bigger fan, and John alluded to this in his conversation, of conditioning of the golf courses. If we go back in the COVID years, uh, and we look, there was a two-week stretch that the tour played at Jack's Place there in Muirfield Village uh, at the where they play the Memorial. And one week they had the Memorial, and the very next week they had a regular tour event, same golf course. And at the Memorial, the winning score, and I may not have the exact numbers, but we'll get the idea and the point, the memorial was won at something like minus eight for four days. Mm -hmm. They cut the rough down. They set the pins in a different location. They didn't speed up the greens as much. In other words, they changed the setup of the golf course, and the winning score was around 17 under par. So you can play, and the weather was very, very similar week to week. So you can set the right. golf course up to make it more challenging to limit 
the player's flight by, by, by making it more difficult and, and putting uh, obstacles in the way. When they set up the last time at St. Andrews for the Open Championship, the keeper of the green said he was going to shorten some holes because it brought additional bunkers into play. So here they are at the RNA going to shorten the golf course to make the golf course more challenging because of the obstacles that were there. So mm-hmm. I don't see the, the need or the, the reasoning behind what they want to do. There's ways around it where we can, like Clint said, we can keep those players that are, that are the masses in this game <clears throat> playing and hitting it as far as they possibly can and want to um, and let them have some fun. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree all the way around. Um, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference, especially as you pointed out, Jim, in certainly at the more amateur ranks. Uh, it, it's the same thing as the gains. I mean, the, the, the biggest gains in golf have always been the top professionals because they can generate more club head speed. And uh, so, of course, they're going to get the biggest gains. So you're going to certainly see some rollback uh, on them. But uh, on the average player, you know, like you said, it's hitting 240, 250. Um, how much is it going to really affect them? I think more so psychologically it's going to annoy them as, you know, Clinton really, as you kind of pointed out, um, is that you're going to have people that say, Hey, I want to play this ball, but it's not on the approved list. And, you know, I, I, I think it's going to boil down to, as you suggested, Jim, is I think just making changes on the course to make it more challenging um, than maybe what it has been in the past. But yeah, you, you can't keep expecting these uh, high end courses to, uh, keep throwing millions and millions of dollars to change, um, you know. But at the same time, uh, they've got to figure something out. I think it's I think it's more, um, in my opinion, uh, chest puffing, if you will. Uh, I don't know whether they're actually going to do it. I know there's been talk about it. And I was just curious to get your thoughts. It's not uh, not an overly important uh, uh, topic at this point. It's still in the earlier stages. But I was just curious to to get your input. But um, yeah, I guess if I that's jump uh, just. One more real quick on yes. this topic. And, and, and yep. I think the idea of the ball, uh, the, the golf ball going farther through different eras of the game. And I think back to when Jack Nichols came on the scene, Bob Jones had a statement about Jack. He said that Jack plays a game by which he's not familiar with. And yep. then Tiger came on the scene and Jack said the same thing. Tiger plays a right. game of which I am not familiar with. So, continually evolved over that and that's the glory of the game it gets better it gets more exciting it gets more fun well and also just one more thing i want to add and and then we'll we'll wrap up is when you look at the physical fitness of the players in today's market both male and female um it's much more advanced the technology there into getting them in in good shape and and the you know the regiment that these uh, I call them kids, but young young players particularly are going through compared to what they were 30 years ago um, is, is helping them to also generate. It's not just all the equipment. So I mean, where do you you know find you roll the ball back and yeah, there may be some uh, adjustments made, but then there'll be something else down the road. They're saying, well, maybe we need to do something else here, and it's going to be the equipment, or it's going to say, hey, you can't work out more than three times a week or something like that. So. I know it sounds a little ridiculous, but where where are you going to draw the line? Um, I think you that can has been opened, and I don't know if they're going to be able to successfully be able to put it back in. Um, will remain to be seen, but I was just curious what your thoughts were. 
All right, guys. Uh, as always, I want to thank you. Um, a special thanks, actually, tonight, uh, not only for our discussion. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, but I know that uh, myself and the audience always uh, enjoy uh, hearing the coaches, their discussions and their thoughts and input. And hopefully the audience tonight particularly had a, had a good time listening to some of your answers. Um, and I really look forward to you guys joining me again next season for more great panel discussion. Um, as always, I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, as we get ready to close out. I have a few things I'm going to say at the end after you're gone. But um, if you want to let the folks know where the best way to reach out if they want to, and if there's anything special that you'd like to plug as we get ready to roll into uh, uh, 2024. But, John, go ahead, and then Clint, and then Jim. Sure. Uh, Jim, uh, Clint, thanks, as always. You guys are amazing. Um, we seem to agree a lot more this time around than the last time, so that's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll always look. If I need an attorney, Clint, whether you're with the bar or not, I'll sign you up, and I need to know what county your brother's in. Uh, yeah, I will. To, to all the listeners, happy holidays, regardless of what you believe or who you believe. It's a time to sit back, reflect on who you are and what you're going to do going forward, whether it's golf-related or not. Uh, it's something I do every year. Uh, if you're looking to improve your game in 2024, you can find me at com john at johnhughesgolf.com social media is john hughes golf uh, all four of the uh, platforms i'm on facebook instagram twitter and linkedin uh, and ted a very special thank you to you uh, you've become a really good friend over the years um, i've got a lot of new things i'll be announcing between now and the end of the year i've just got to dot some i's cross some p's and uh, it's going to be, I'm looking forward to an exciting 2024 and, and continuing to be a part of the magazine and the podcast. And I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity about 10 years ago to join you on this. And I'm looking forward to more. Well, I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. And uh, I, I concur 100% uh, with what you just said. Um, Clint, go ahead. Um, best way to reach you. Yeah, um, yeah no worries. Uh, they can always send me an email at clintgoff001 at yahoo.com. And, um, you know, we can reflect at this time of year on, on our year or we can, re you know, reflect on the, the whole uh, scheme of the, the uh, Golf Talk Live over the years. I think this is my 10th year as well as like John. And uh, it, it has been a blast from day one for sure. And it's going to continue to be that way next year. So hopefully uh, – Guys, as y'all have a, a, a happy and safe holiday season and New Year's, and I know we're all going to be prosperous because we're we're right in the middle of one of the greatest growth spurts in golf that we've ever seen or may ever experience. So we're going to have a we're going to have a great 2024 for our sport, and uh, I think with all the things that we didn't talk about tonight as far as these different tours getting together, 24 is going to present itself as a very interesting time for us. So y'all be safe mm -hmm. and uh, God bless you. Thank you, Clint and Jim. Yes. Uh, Ted, thanks so much for uh, having me as a, uh, a panelist in, uh, in the podcast and on the magazine. This is my first year and, and it's been, uh, been a whirlwind and it's been wonderful. And John, thank you so much for the introduction here. And and uh, Clint, it's uh, 
it's been great to be on with you, and I wish all of you a very happy holidays. And uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I can be reached at Jim at EndicottGolf.com or via cell phone 407-460-9420. And I'm looking forward to being a part of the team going into 2024. Thanks again, Ted. Well, my pleasure, guys. And as always, thank you for bringing your best to uh, uh, Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner. We're going to have some new interesting things going on next year on the program. And I know that you guys will be excited to uh, part of that. And uh, I'll be sending out the, the schedule uh, shortly. I'm, I fell a little bit behind on some things, but uh, I'll have it out uh, by the end of this weekend so you guys can look at your dates for next year. But thank you as always. Happy holidays to all of you. Um, may you guys have a, a great time uh, to not just reflect on the year, but a great time to spend with family and friends this holiday season. Be safe as always. And I look forward to you guys coming back on and joining me in the new year uh, for season 12 of Golf Talk Live. Um, have a great one, guys. Thank you as always. And uh, I will see you in the new year. And I'll see, I think, a couple of you guys probably at the PGA show in the end of January. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about that uh, another time. But thanks, guys, for, for uh, being on the season finale here at Golf Talk, Golf Talk Live. All right, good thanks night, everybody. Thanks, Ted. All right, good night, guys. All right, uh, rounding out the uh, season finale uh, was my good friends, uh, John Hughes, Clint Wright, and Jim Endicott, thank you guys again um, for always uh, bringing your best. So as I mentioned, I was just going to talk about just briefly a couple of things. So as as uh, mentioned in the beginning of the program, of course, this is the season finale for Golf Talk Live, and Tuesday was the season finale uh, this past Tuesday for Women of Golf, which I co-host with my good friend, LPGA professional, Sydney Miller. So we are taking a break. Uh, this week was the last uh, show of 2023 for both shows. Um, and uh, they will be firing up after a extended break. Uh, we'll be firing both shows up. Uh, February 6th will be uh, the new date in 2024 for Women of Golf, which airs every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, respectively, will be uh, the uh, launch of Season 12 for Golf Talk Live. Uh, season 11, sorry, for Women of Golf and Season 12 for Golf Talk Live. Uh, just a couple of uh, changes for next season, in addition to, obviously, more great panel discussions on Coach's Corner. Uh, next season, I'll be adding a new component to the mix on Golf Talk Live. Uh, joining me in a special feature, uh, which will be uh, all about travel, uh, will be a, a travel expert and one of the contributors to Golf Tips Magazine, Robert Kaufman. Uh, Robert uh, and I will discuss some great uh, golf travel options for 2024 and beyond, and uh, particularly some of those uh, hot buddy trip destination. So uh, lots of good things. You want to make sure you tune in for that. Um, so I hope you join me next year uh, on the Women of Golf Season 11 and also uh, Season 12 uh, for Golf Talk Live. But in the meantime, uh, if you visit both archive sections, uh, you can hear all of the previously aired uh, shows, including tonight's. Just simply visit blogtalkradio.com and search either show, either Women of Golf or Golf Talk Live in the search key. Or you can, on any social media platform that features podcasts, Spotify, uh, and uh, many of the other uh, top platforms as well. But I want to thank everybody for all of your continued support here on Golf Talk Live. I've really enjoyed uh, another great season. I'm really excited about uh, next year for both uh, shows. And as I mentioned, I'm going to be down at the PGA show. We're going to be lining up some great, interesting guests. 
and making a few changes as uh, some of just some of what I've discussed tonight, but uh, others to come as well in 2024. So I hope you come back and tune me. On that note, everybody have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday, um, all of that good stuff. Be careful, be safe out there, and thank you as always for tuning into Golf Talk Live. And uh, I hope to uh, have you back uh, joining me next year on uh, on the program. So on that note, God bless everybody, and we'll see you next year. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Ted would like to thank this evening's special guest for joining him on the show. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. You can also listen to Golf Talk Live on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. Be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, send an email to ted at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.